After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton. Cameron Maitland is coming back so soon. I promise you're going to have him sooner rather than later. He's still in Los Angeles doing the blue carpet at the Indie Spirit Awards because they got to be special over there. Uh, you can check all of that out at Hollywood Suite, which he is the film and content expert at. Um, so uh, check that out. But for right now, I have two awesome filmmakers. They are a team. They are a husband and wife. I have Chris Bavoda and Lee Paula Springer with me. Hey, Chris. Hi. Hi, Lee. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me. I caught your guys' dead dicks at Blood in the Snow this year, and uh, you guys won a bunch of awards there. You had a great showing, and I had to have you on the show. And uh, when I talked to you about what movie you, you might want to talk about, you had a great story for this one. So I was like, well, we have to get you on right away. So let's start mm. by talking about Dead Dicks and uh, the clever title and what that one's about. Uh, sure. So Dead Dicks, it's uh, our feature film directorial debut uh, lee and i write and produce and direct together and we ended up making a movie last year and we managed to get it into a few film festivals like blood in the snow S somehow we managed to win some awards which was very surprising to us but we were super grateful yeah it's a genre bending one night one crazy night in one apartment with uh two characters a young woman and her older brother who suffers from some mental health issues and he's kind of going through something and uh, when she's introduced to what's going on uh, it's kind of unbelievable and she has to spend the night trying to figure it out with him and help him through it. Now Lee you had an interesting story on how you guys became filmmakers together and why you just decided to go for it. Would you share that with our listeners? Oh uh, sure. Um, I think you're <laughs> referring to I was joking that we'd like snatched victory out of the jaws of defeat. <laughs> we <laughs> we uh, had written uh, several scripts uh, prior to this, and one of them sort of seemed like it was getting a little bit of traction. We were excited about it. We found someone who would help us to apply to um, some of the grants here in uh, in Quebec, and uh, we applied, and it seemed pretty good. We went to TIFF to meet uh, to have a few meetings, and then everything fell apart like immediately <laughs> it's like we got a series of phone calls that were just no 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 uh when we were driving home from toronto to montreal so we had i said like the saddest car ride mm -hmm. and then we were we were like well we can be we can be bummed about this until we get home and then we have to just figure something out and uh just make something ourselves so initially dead dicks was a a short uh, but then Chris convinced me and our uh, our co-producer Albert Malamed to um, expand it into a feature, which we initially resisted. But <laughs> I'm really glad that he convinced us because, uh, um, you know, here we are. So it's pretty, pretty crazy. You get to make interesting, fun things that then go out into the universe. Uh, where have you guys been screening it and how do people check it out? Well, it's been playing uh, through this festival circuit. Um, it's still got a couple dates coming up and... Every once in a while, we hear m more dates, so we get more confirmations. Right now, we're um, we're waiting for next Friday. It's going to be playing at Boston Sci-Fi Film Festival in Boston, um, which is also co-presented by 
Boston Underground. Yeah, we were very lucky that Boston Underground also is helping co-present it. Um, Lee is going to be driving down with uh, Jillian Harris, who plays Becca, and Heston Horwin is going to be flying in. So the three of them will be be down there to present the film. Um, And after that, I think it's going to Norway, Portugal, possibly to the States again, and a couple other festivals. And we are hoping out west in Canada, but we still haven't heard back yet. Yeah, we were extremely lucky, and it premiered uh, in our hometown uh, in Montreal at at Fantasia. So that was like a huge boost. Um, we never, <laughs> we've been going to that festival as fans for many, many, many years. We, I don't think, ever thought it would get in. <laughs> um, and then we won an award, which was totally crazy. So uh, we're just kind of riding that festival wave for now. Mm-hmm. So as scrappy filmmakers, what advice do you have for up-and-coming filmmakers who may want to get their stuff into Fantasia or Blood in the Snow? Um, Just make something. You know, I guess we had been talking about it for so many years, and we were kind of waiting for the perfect storm of everything to fall into place, and it just never happens. And so, you know, we had to fail kind of in quick succession again and again and again for us to realize that the only way that it's going to happen is if we just do it. And we decided to make the feature because we were like, let's let's try and stand out. There are so many people making short films and not so many people making feature films. And even if we use the same budget that we would on our short to make our feature, at least we'd have a feature. Um, so it's just push through as hard as possible and just try to get that feature made because it could change everything. I would say also, um, in addition to that, just... Um don't be scared to do something personal, even if like our, you know, our movie is kind of like a, I don't know what to call it. It's like a horror comedy drama. I don't know, but it's got a lot of genre elements. It plays at a lot of genre fests and uh, sci-fi festivals, but it's very, very personal movie. And it was a little bit scary to um, kind of go there in terms of sometimes, you know, discussions about mental health or whatever. But uh, it was worth it. And I think people will forgive a lower budget if they feel like uh, it's genuine. It's coming from a real place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mind your pain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, turn it into nightmare fodder for others, yeah. potentially, like the uh, the film we're going to be talking about today. What film did you guys pick? Uh, we chose The Peanut Butter Solution. The Peanut Butter <laughs> Solution. We have been waiting to talk about this film since we started the podcast because so many people, when they find out we do a Canadian film podcast, were like, oh my God, there's this movie from my childhood and it scared mm-hmm. the crap out of me and I can't remember mm-hmm. what it's called. There's a kid and there's hair. What am I thinking of? Was it just a weird fever dream? No, it existed. It's called The Peanut Butter Solution. It just got a fantastic Blu-ray release from Severn Films, complete with a bunch of extras. And you guys contributed to those extras. What did you do? We were very lucky because a good friend of mine, Kayla Janice, uh, has been working with Severn on and off throughout the years. And she had contacted me to just be like, ooh, would you be able to go and film an interview for me next week in Montreal? And I was like, sure. And she's like, it's going to be with Rock Demers. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, we're putting out the peanut butter solution. And we want to just, you know, I, I, we have a set of questions we'd love to, for you to ask him. And I right away, I was like, Lee, Lee, guess who I'm going to go interview next week? And then I m- invited myself along because yeah. I was very excited uh, 
you don't really get to meet people too often that like really shaped your childhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I didn't really realize until we were speaking to uh, Mr. Demers that like I really thought of these as being Quebecois films. Like I didn't realize that they had really gone outside of the province. Mm-hmm. Um, but when as kids growing up here, I mean, we I feel like every school trip to the movies was mm-hmm. one of the Tales for All movies. Yeah. Um, and there, there are so many of them, and here they were so big, so it was, it was really hard to, I guess, grasp the fact that because some of them were shot in French and English, that there was kind of like an audience outside of this province for them. But if you actually pick up the Blu-ray and you listen to him speak, his stories are crazy. He has touched almost every country. Um, he has influenced filmmakers from around the world. He has helped cinema go from you know small independent productions to larger productions in Canada co-productions with other countries like it was such an impressive life and he's 86 years old and he didn't miss a beat and even at the beginning he was a bit uncomfortable speaking in English and then he did an hour and a half interview perfect Perfect. English Well, I think what's especially interesting about the Tales for All that a lot of people don't know. I mean, some people won't know. Like, I, I'm from Edmonton, and mm-hmm. uh, we I did not know about Tales for All, but I definitely saw La Guerre du Touc and the dog who stopped the war, but English yep. and French title, uh, and was scarred for life by that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, that's like our version of Old Yeller, I feel like. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I, I think that's one of those films that, like, you're like, oh, this was my introduction to death. Got it. Great. <laughs> yeah, Thank exactly. you so much. Um, and my in my introduction to nightmare fuel was the peanut butter solution and uh, I don't I also don't think people know that rock Demers also made all of these films not just to be translated in English and French and really bridge that gap but they were built to be translated internationally and I think yes. at one point they were being translated into like 15 different languages and distributed worldwide that's oh, yeah. bananas to have that kind of forethought about that global distribution system he speaks about how he had pretty much just threw on a backpack and traveled around the world meeting people, discussing films, and trying to discover unique voices. And he he would meet these filmmakers from all over and bring them back to Quebec to collaborate on these projects. And it's just the director of the Peanut Butter Solutions from Australia. And a lot of the other filmmakers, some are from Quebec, but a lot of them are from like the greatest Czechoslovakian filmmaker of the time comes to you know Canada and directs a kid's film with Rock Demers. Let's talk about that for a second. What was this film? Um, oh, geez. What was that one? It's the Land of Small? La- yeah. What is Land The of Land Small. of Small? <laughs> it's, what happens um, Do you remember? Oh, Michael. Is it Michael Anderson from Twin Peaks? Yes. The uh, the little person who appears in all the dream sequences. This was like his first film. And if you get the Severin release of Peanut Butter Solution, Rock Demers talks about how he met Michael Anderson. And it's a very interesting story. I don't want to say it. I think it's called the Great Land of Small. Oh, the Great Land of yeah. Small. Yeah. This um, is wild. And that is, I, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but I think it's Wojtek Yasny, mm-hmm. uh, the director who was uh, at that, well, in the, I uh, was known as Czechoslovakia at that yeah, time. Um, and uh, yeah, he, when Rockdemers was traveling around, he was telling us that, you know, at that time he's like, I went behind the Iron Curtain, you know, mm-hmm. to talk to uh, filmmakers who were living in that system. And um, and then he said, you know, I learned that, I figured out pretty much that the language is the only barrier. And then if you just get through that, people are all the same. Mm-hmm. 
And so that was like a big part of his messaging. And he had been a huge part of the Montreal uh, World World Film Film Festival Festival before this. And so I guess that was really part of the mandate. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. So I think actually that same director was initially supposed to be part of the peanut butter solution, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think he might be one of the co-writers. Yeah. And then... um, I, I think he was teaching at NYU or something, and he had he had Michael Rubo meet with him mm-hmm. um, and and talk talk about the screenplay. Uh, the screenplay and how they were going to put it together. So now, before we get too far ahead of things, there are some people who may not have seen this film. There is a release from Severin. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. They fully restored it. Uh, this also got a theatrical release in its first run for some mm-hmm. reason, as well as it was a staple on television, which I'm sure most people saw in their <laughs> youth. Um, what is this film about? It's very wacky. We we <laughs> honestly we I hadn't seen it for a long time, and we just watched it with our kids last week to kind of see how they would react to it, and both of them were scared. We have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, two little girls, Abby and Margot. And at every part that you would expect them to be scared, they stood up and they were grabbing pillows to try and hide their face. But they wanted to know what happened but, next. Yeah. But they wanted to know what happened next, so they did watch it. But watching it as adults, I'm like, oh, this, this is really – it really is a horror film geared towards children, but not to be scary so much so that it would give you nightmares, but to just like tease seeing something that might – really scare you and not knowing what it is but then when it's finally revealed understanding that you know what you shouldn't have been afraid in the first place and that was something that rock demers had mentioned that he didn't want to terrify people or have something very horrific he just wanted to play with like the childhood idea of being scared of the unknown and then when it's revealed feeling comfortable and you know like facing that fear so the, um, the movie is about uh, a little boy well I think a little, he's probably about 12, mm-hmm. I don't know, 10 or 12. Um, and he lives with his family. His dad is a, a, an artist and his mom has gone back to Australia to uh, deal with her father's death, I mm-hmm. believe. So it's just him and his sister and his dad. And he has this this friend who lives in the neighborhood and there's this like mansion, kind of abandoned fancy house around the corner. And uh, one day it burns down and then his friend is like, we should go check it out or whatever. And they go to this like very scary looking, like obviously dangerous house <laughs> and uh, climb in. And then the little boy uh, sees um, something, something we we don't know what it is. And he kind of catches what they call the fright. Uh, and when he wakes up the next morning, uh, all of his hair falls out. Mm hmm. And then he, he ends up having a dream where a ghost tells him a, a recipe of something he could create and put on his head to make his hair grow back. And he does, but he is warned not to use too much peanut butter. And then he does use too much peanut butter. And when he puts this concoction on his head, his hair starts growing immediately and it doesn't stop. And it starts to disrupt his life. He, the people in school want to kick him out. All of his friends start making fun of him. And then... It gets crazier from there. And then, yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> like, there's somehow a nefarious art teacher. There's yeah. like, it's really something. It's kind of like a body horror movie for kids. 
It's kind of fascinating because, like, we've talked about horror movies for kids on the show before. People will remember us talking about The Gate with uh, Jordan Bonaparte from the Nighttime Podcast. Go back and listen to that one. If you haven't seen The Gate, we recommend that one wholeheartedly as it's Mm -hmm. a straight-up horror film for children. This one, you talk about how it's about not being afraid of things or, like, not being afraid of the dark or learning Mm -hmm. how to approach your fear. And I feel like everyone who sees this, because it is so bizarre and so kind of all over the place, has a different takeaway from it. Mm -hmm. Because some people are like, oh, no, it's about the power of imagination. And some people are like, no, there's a very clear stranger danger element of this. And then another one's like, no, it's about family and love and and understanding, uh, understanding how we relate to each other. And I'm like, it's kind of everything, which is why it doesn't make sense. True. (laughs) And even like you mentioned about family. When at a certain point, the kid uh, goes missing and his dad doesn't seem to be that upset. Like he does trash his his like art studio, but then he kind of just relaxes about it. And when he finds him finally at the end, his reaction is so just nonchalant. And he's just like, all right, let's go. Like his kid's been missing for two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's very strange. It's just a bizarre Uh, approach in general to the idea of what a children's movie is. Is And from mm-hmm. my memory of a lot of the other Tales for All films, you know, there's some wacky elements to it, but they all sit pretty relatively in the realm of reality. And this is a normal narrative mm-hmm. in a story. This one is yeah. just so dreamlike and so all yeah. over the place, which is why I think people react as strongly as they do to it, because mm-hmm. nothing feels anchored in anything. Anything is possible. But it really it, it, it differs somewhat than a film like The Gate or even The Monster Squad or Goonies, where it was like these movies were kind of geared towards a younger crowd, but there's still some really scary special effects type things and cruel characters and stuff like this. Whereas with the peanut butter solution, it feels like if there was a Degrassi junior high Halloween episode, <laughs> it would, it would be the peanut butter solution. I don't know. I feel like that doesn't <laughs> give it enough justice. Cause no, I, no, I feel, I feel like there's these sort of really amazing striking surreal visuals like not just the hair growth which is really something and actually quite well done um but the part of the bad guy's nefarious plan is to make paintbrushes with this magical hair and then the the tableaus that he paints are incredibly uh, they're like living paintings that move and you can get like sucked into them and the, they're beautiful and like the, and there's a section a whole scene where the kids kind of just admire the art that they mm-hmm. make with it like there's um I don't know I, I I don't think they ever got that like deep on Degrassi like art wise no, no, obviously <laughs> I'm just saying just tone wise like the gate is a horror film yes. I feel like you know, you see that as an adult and you could still kind of be like, "Ooh, weird. It's like creepy, scary. And this as watching it as an adult, I was just like, oh, the, the adults react in a very strange way to every single situation. Like the the nefarious art teacher, his two brothers happen to be, I guess, what an is art it? dealer, Yeah, the, the the father's art dealer and then somebody else in the town. And they don't seem to care so much that their brother has kidnapped all of these children. <laughs> it's just like all the adults seem to be really uninterested in what's going on because from their perspective they're like eh this is just stuff that children should deal with it but it's like children have been kidnapped all of the children in the neighborhood are gone and they're in a straight up sweatshop they're in a sweatshop (laughs) making brushes out of some magical hair and even the kids themselves are like well what are you gonna do (laughs) 
guess this is our life now. Exactly. Um, also, okay, so you guys have two little girls. What part specifically upset them? Like, what was their big trigger points? Because I'm sure I would... my trigger points as an adult would be very different from a child's. Oh, yeah. I think they they were freaked out by exactly what the character is freaked out by. Just yeah. the, the I think the little boy's name is Michael in it. Mm-hmm. Am I crazy? Yes. Yeah. So when he... Uh, when he crawls into the house mm-hmm. and the way that that is shot is quite realistic, actually, mm-hmm. just despite like what ends up happening with the movie, like mm-hmm. it's really dark and it's sort of low yeah. <laughs> and like a kid, you know, and it's kind of going around the corner and whatever. And just that alone was like already they were really mm-hmm. like on edge. So I would say that was they were pretty scared about that right off the bat. Our one daughter, Abby, who is the eight-year-old, she is very sensitive to people being embarrassed. Oh yeah. And things and the so, soccer scene. Yeah, yeah. When when he actually gets the the wig and starts to feel comfortable again, like because when he loses all of his hair, there's a period of him just like staying home. He refuses to go to school, and then he has the dream that kind of gives him the peanut butter solution. And when he but before that, his sister tries to help him by getting a wig and gluing it to his head. And he goes out and he plays soccer and the tough kid on the other team ends up like pushing him and grabbing his hair and the wig comes off and everyone starts laughing at him. And there's like and, this slow motion like bald reveal and yeah. the kid's real pain at this like humiliation, you yeah. know? And Abby did not like that. No, that was like a lot for her. Yeah. Well, those kids organize very quickly and have a straight up anti-bald chant ready to go. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, these it's kids true. are organized. They, yeah, yeah they, they like turn on him quick. <laughs> and they all chase him and they all know the words to it immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. And then, um, I mean, we didn't even talk about the pedigree of some of the people that are involved in this film on the acting side. Michael Hogan uh, yeah. is in this, which people know from Battlestar Galactica. He plays the dad. Silik uh, Sansanasi, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He plays Connie. And uh, people are going to know him as Yik Yu from Degrassi. Degrassi. But yeah. now he's actually a huge second AD and a first AD who works on shows like The Strain and Designated Survivor and Pacific Rim. He works with Guillermo del Toro a lot. So oh, wow. that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, yeah. And then Michael Rubo, I want to point people towards one of his early shorts. He did a lot of uh, short films for the NFB. He has one called Sir, Sir, exclamation point, which was about an ex, uh, which was about uh, an experiment that they did in Toronto where kids and children switched places for a day in a classroom. And it is just bizarre. And so if you like a lot of the child antics in Peanut Butter Solution, go watch mm-hmm. that short film. It's available for free on the NFB, and it's it's a riot. It's very fun to watch. That's awesome. I'll have to mm-hmm. check it out. Yeah. I did notice, though, that one thing I really liked about the movie um, is that at first it's really about this this young, the, the main character, the young boy. But once he's kidnapped, every other kid actually has like a whole arc like you really yeah. follow mm-hmm. the sister and then the uh the the name like connie the best, the best friend and even connie's little sister who has been kidnapped but they sort of didn't mention that at first yeah. she <laughs> has a whole like thing that happens mm-hmm. like they each have um uh, they each play a role in mm-hmm. in getting out and in yeah. solving the mystery so that's pretty cool yeah the kids figure it all out the parents don't actually do anything the adults are just kind of there mm-hmm. which is i think from a kid's perspective, watching this, it's it's more empowering to see. Like, and I think that's what Rock Demers really did in a lot of his films. He was like focusing on the the child's perspective, so that the audience would really relate. And the the audience he was writing for or making films for was you know a young audience. 
Well, and getting them getting them in there and then getting their parents. Like, how much do you think this was intended to for people to sit down with their kids? And how much do you think this was, oh, this is to entertain children and keep their brains going? Oh, I, I think it was definitely for parents and kids. I think so. But I, I really feel like what he had, as he had spoke um, during the interview, as he spoke during the interview, um, he really mentioned making movies for children to try and help them understand you know, certain situations, connecting with other people, seeing the world and really always just experiencing very positive things to be helpful. You know, like he didn't want to make movies just to entertain people or to scare people. He always wanted to have a reason and almost like a a morality tale to kind of just help children know that, you know, like other people are out there experiencing the same things. We're, We're all the same. You know, you're not alone in the world. You shouldn't be scared of death you shouldn't be scared of things that might frighten you at first because they might not be as scary as you think once you get to you know know them or something like that it's it was an approach to making films to help children kind of like move through the world in a way yeah he talked about because in the interview he he discussed like sort of how the whole tales for all thing came about and he and this and the peanut butter solution i think is only the second one mm. uh in it so pretty new and relatively early on in the process and he had read uh, a newspaper article about the suicide rate of young kids um in the region and he was like really freaked out by that and mm. he he was saying well what can i do and well i know film and and this is the way that I can help kids in this way. And that he described also that at the Montreal Film Festival on weekends, they used to do screenings mm-hmm. for parents and children and then they would be packed. Mm-hmm. And the parents were like, oh, we never have an opportunity to to watch like good films with our kids. Mm-hmm. And so that was like all part of it. Yeah, one of the first movies he produced was, it was Marsh. The Christmas Martians. Yeah, I the Christmas it Martians. It's very strange. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that it is because it is intended to be in multiple languages and be global that you are getting a lot of those weird dreamlike elements? Them, they're not just culturally specific. Maybe it's also like many different cultures came together to create it. You know, the filmmakers, the the screenwriters weren't all just you know from the same place, and so I think their influences might have been more cultural. Like some of the stuff that's happening in the Peanut Butter Solution might have roots in you know like mythology or legends or ghost stories from you know the the czech republic or stuff like that i I don't know you know like even even in quebec you know like the quebec legends are very different than the rest of canada legends and so i i feel like a lot of his films have this international kind of like appeal appeal in a way because but even what seems so unique about it could be the fact that all of the filmmakers are from different places and things happen in their movies that you would you know because like for example right now we, because we have young kids on friday nights we force them to watch a movie that we choose. we don't force them they enjoy it <laughs> they're sat down um, strapped well, they, in they put yeah. up a fight but then you know eventually they end up liking them and they're they're usually you know american movies from our childhoods that we really enjoyed and those are still great you know but things happen in those movies that i mean things happen in uh, the tales for all movies i feel like that would never happen in a american kids movie mm-hmm. from the 80s you know what i mean like a dog will die yeah. they will kill that dog yeah. <laughs> you know? like or you know so it's sort of um it's more i don't know i don't want to say like risky but it's just kind of a different sensibility you mm-hmm. know uh and i think 
kind of less concerned with like everyone's I mean they want people to feel good at the yeah. end but in in certain in still challenging ways yeah like it's trying to be honest it's not trying to hide you know hide away the scary things it's just like the world is the way the world is and the girl they took or the um, the dog that stopped the war it's a pretty brutal way to express to children the casualties of war by you know like Everyone knows what happens to that dog. It's it's yeah. in the title of the movie. The cutest but, member of the core will be murdered. So exactly. that's what's going like to happen. The, the, the people who are just there may suffer the most. The civilians. Yeah. yeah. And and he does this through a snowball fight, you know, with children's, children defending their forts and stuff like that. And it's, it's a powerful way to express something to at a level that children could understand, you know. Now, I think applying that to the peanut butter solution and the concept of uh, look into something more because what you think is frightening might not be so frightening. Mm. I think that gets a bit lost within the concept of the imagination of this and in the caper aspect of the film. Because yeah. there's some moments where as a grown up, you're watching this and you're like, hold on. So now they're being told what to do by homeless ghosts that died in a fire <laughs> like yeah. that's who were also, I think, the ones responsible for making him go bald in the first place because they frightened him but then Mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of having to peel back the dream logic and being like all right so this person is now here and now that the senor has become a father he's not a bad guy but he's still a bad guy because he still wants so applying normal human logic to this just isn't going to work yeah that's what i was saying like there's a nonchalance to everybody in the movie the characters act in ways where you're just like it seems very unrealistic but I think it's an, uh, you know, an approach to doing something fantastic and, and living within this fantasy world that kind of it makes it so much more interesting, I guess. Because like, if you, you compare this to any movie where someone's children or someone's child is kidnapped, like you have the peanut butter solution or you have like prisoners, you know, yeah. like there's the two sides. Of it. <laughs> well, I, do, I think that like watching it as an adult, all the things that I want to know are probably the least interesting things to children. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, what are the police doing? Like, yeah. are they canvassing the neighborhood? Like, yeah. they, like our kids do not care about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I, we probably didn't notice it as kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, uh, as a kid, you're like, how, how is he making the paintbrushes? You know, like that's a huge scene where they're, in the factory, the children are making two paintbrushes. How do you use the paintbrushes? It's like, Why are they magic? What do yeah. they do? You know. So, uh, yeah. Does it? Yeah. Is uh, there are definitely some questions? <laughs> well, that's the thing is, I think it's very it's its logic is rooted in a child's perspective, like and, from and, dreamlike. and very dreamlike, and I yeah. think it works really well for children, and I think it had a lasting impression to the generation of people that saw it when it first came out, like us. Um, but if I would just show this to a friend today who had never heard of it, never seen it, who is sober. an adult, sober. they would just be like, what is this? <laughs> yes. Why are we watching this? <laughs> <laughs> Why does this exist? What is the point? I do think this is something that you need to experience it as a child to really mm-hmm. have that sort of nostalgia factor, that sort of interaction with uh, with the unknown and the weird and the wild. Because if you're in filmmaking, you can look at this and be like, how did you even go about making this? How did you get this funded? Mm-hmm. How did you get the budget? Like, <laughs> what is even happening here? What did the script 
look like you had four contributors to this script who contributed yeah. what because it is yeah. like uh, like the peanut butter solution itself um, mm-hmm. just this big convoluted mess of things but it also has more of a feeling than it does have a plot do you know yeah. what I mean yeah well, yeah, there's a quote on the, on the back of the cover, Nickelodeon by way of David Lynch. Uh, yes, yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And who thought like, oh, this extended bit about the kid who put the peanut butter solution on his pubic area? Yes. With yeah. like, that was going to be a gag that we would keep our, going to? Like, Our girls found it hilarious. And <laughs> even the next day, they were just asking questions about that. I was just like, oh, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> Here's a book. Read it. I Come back to me if you have any questions. Because yeah. that's actually a, an aspect of the film, too, where it's like they linger on it for a while. And then by the end of the film, they never mention it. They never mention how he solves his problem. They just focus on the other. Kid. I ended up reading about it. And it said, oh, because he figures out that by yelling at it, it stops growing. And I was like, I'm not sure that's shown in the film. By yelling at your crotch. <laughs> no more puberty. I'm done you with puberty. You from growing. <laughs> yeah, well, when is the last time anyone's pubic area took direct directions, right? So, exactly. Yeah, well, we're at the time of the show now where we have to talk about favorite moments, which uh, is going to be tough because this thing is full of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Lee, why don't we start with you? What's your favorite moment? Uh, my favorite moment, I think is definitely when they're in the classroom and uh, the one teacher is giving his lecture and then the kids are laughing and not really paying attention. And then it's revealed that the little boy's hair has not just grown like to shoulder length, but it is now like covering three or four different desks. Mm. And his friend is like valiantly trying to (laughs) cut it behind him Mm. and the kids when the teacher gets I think justifiably annoyed by this the kid is like really indignant you know Mm -hmm. like of course he's just trying to help his friend and he deserves an education yeah (laughs) so that's probably mine and there's a great effect with Mm. the hair growing that you sort of see it which I think was very well done Um, so that was my favorite part how about yourself Chris I quite liked the art class like when the senior is teaching the kids how to draw and, he, and he's like losing his mind at the techniques that the children are using to draw this dog and then the one picture that he like praises is no better than any of the other pictures in the class <laughs> no because he's like you can't use your imagination yeah, yeah. look at this one this one's realistic i'm like it's not realistic she's sitting in front of the dog and it's a drawing of the side of the dog it's also like Covered in flames, I feel like. No, that's the other kid. Oh, that's the he, other the kid, kid gets in trouble for drawing flames. <laughs> um, but even the senior, I'm like, this is an obvious French-Canadian man <laughs> who is trying to be, Italian. be... It's like the way they explain his accent is he's Italian, but his two brothers are not Italian. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, well, that makes complete sense, yeah. <laughs> obviously. And he's, yeah, he's, sometimes, he's somehow like a con man who's changed his name and his identity multiple times and his brothers are like oh yeah we just call him the senior now (laughs) this was one of those movies that um i think one of my favorite parts about it is how adamant my notes start to get as i go along um Mm. so for example i have was skippy peanut butter a willing participant in this because it Mm. is like prominently shown and oh no they paid 
handsomely for the product placement. So yeah, Skippy was all aboard, uh, all aboard with this. By the end of it, I'm just yelling, where do you live, Connie? Exclamation point. <laughs> yes. yes, he's always True. just showing up. He's like the Steve Urkel, like just, yeah, he's yeah. just always there eating their food. And it's kind of like, there's a subplot of him having like obviously feelings for the sister because he's yes. always like asking her like, what are you going to be doing now? Like, are you going to be there tomorrow? <laughs> oh, I did not pick up on that, yeah. yeah. Uh, I love that. And also the Celine Dion soundtrack. This is Celine oh, Dion's yes. first English language uh, recordings and soundtracks. A very young 17-year-old was discovered by Rock yeah. Mirrors. And this is this is the first thing she did, which is wild. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's wild. The song is also like, you're like, what is this song? There's a theme song to this movie. <laughs> which also it's makes It's called like so Michael's sense. Song, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. yeah. There's two tracks that she recorded with this, which are yeah. both just bizarre, uh, which I bet you she is not performing in Vegas. Uh, <laughs> come on, Mike, Michael Jackson did uh, Ben from Willard. So, you know, give us give us a little bit of weird. All right. I think that's just about everything. So, Chris Lee, how do people find you guys and find your work? We have a website, postalcodefilms.com. It usually kind of talks about the things we're doing right now. Even deaddicks.com. You can go there to figure out what's happening with the movie and where it's going to be screening next. Are we on Instagram? We are. Dead Dicks Movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, Dead Dicks Movie on Instagram and I think Dead Dicks Movie on Facebook. Um, that's the best place to kind of track us down. Beautiful. And as per usual, you can find me on the Twitters at Le Shrimpton. That's the masculine Le Shrimpton over there. You can follow the podcast at RCM Pod on Twitter. And if you feel generous right now in this month, uh, you can also contribute to our Patreon. We are patreon.com slash RCM Pod. Not RCMP. That's the Real Men's Christian Podcast. That's not us. But thank you so much, Chris <laughs> Lee, for joining us today. This was such a pleasure. Oh, Thank, thank you, you so much. It was thank a lot you. of fun. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.